0: Welcome to Think Again, a podcast by Macquarie Asset Management, providing financial advisors with a fresh perspective and innovative insights designed to keep you and your clients a step ahead.
1: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Denise St. Ivany. Joining me today is Barry Gladstein, Head of Sustainable Investing for Public Investment Markets at Macquarie Asset Management. Barry is a co-portfolio manager on two sustainable equity strategies, and he's been leading the charge in this space for several years at the firm, helping various managers construct portfolios that incorporate sustainability factors. Barry, great to be with you today. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Denise. Thanks for having me.
1: Opportunities for sustainable investment are widespread. They cover a vast range of issues. For example, the United Nations has 17 Sustainable Development Goals, a lot of times referred to as SDGs, and these are interlinked global goals that range across issues like poverty, health and education, inequality, economic growth, and climate. So it can be a lot to get investors to get their head around it.
2: Yeah, that's right, Denise. And actually, the, a simple way that I've heard uh, the SDGs referred to is sort of the, as the world's to-do list, which is really everything that ha- needs to be done by the year 2030 to make the world a better place.
1: Well, in Macquarie's 2023 Investment Outlook, you gave examples of opportunities created by two of these SDGs. So let's start at the top. Criticisms of sustainable investing have included that it's exclusionary. I know you subscribe to a belief that sustainable investing does offer excellent long-term return opportunity. So give us a sense of how sustainable investing offers shareholders widespread return opportunities.
2: Sure. Absolutely, Denise. And yeah, I mean, there has been some recent criticism about um, sustainable investing, but really, and, that, and th- think of it as um, being exclusionary, that stems from traditional so-called social responsible investing, where the thought was that you exclude guns, tobacco, alcohol, etc. But really, what sustainable investing entails is just analyzing the environmental, social, and governance risks and opportunities associated with each company one way to think about it is a concept called double materiality. And a lot of people know about materiality from a financial perspective, which is, you know, those are risks or opportunities that materially affect the financial returns of a company. So in essence, how things affect a company, the double materiality aspect is it uh, concerns a company's actions and how it affects society. So in essence, issues and risks that affect a company and then what a company does to affect society. So that's the concept of double materiality. And so to the point about the SDGs and them being wide ranging and how companies can benefit from satisfying some of the SDGs, you're right that they're very widespread and go across sectors. Simple way um, to explain it as far as how a company can do right for society but also do right for himself would be a healthcare company. Say a healthcare company, a pharmaceutical company comes out with um a new medicine that solves you know uh, a disease that's been hard, you know, cure for cancer. Obviously that aligns with STG number three, which promotes good health, but also obviously that'll bring tremendous rewards to the company itself. Similarly, a technology company that comes up with an advancement on how to you know promote energy efficiency, they'll be contributing towards STG seven. But hopefully, profiting into from as well, and even financial companies that come up with sources to bring people who p- currently aren't part of the financial process, including them in the in the financial um, metric in the financial framework, that will allow the the financial company itself to have um, additional customers, but also bring those previously underserved people into the financial community. So those are just some examples of how companies can benefit society, but also benefit themselves at the same time.
1: Let's take one sustainable development goal as a case study. The one you already mentioned, number seven, addresses affordable and clean energy. It has specific targets for 2030. Can you talk about the opportunities this offers for future investment?
2: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And so um, as you mentioned at the top, Denise, I am co-portfolio manager on on two uh, sustainable funds that we have available here in the U.S., one is the Climate Solutions Fund, and the premise behind the Climate Solutions Fund is that it invests in two different um, classifications of companies, companies that we call reducers. So those are companies that have a current high level of greenhouse gas emissions, but really have an intention and ability to substantially reduce those emissions and help fight climate change that way. So those are who we call reducers. We also have another group of company called facilitators, and the facilitators offer products and services to help the reducers reduce their greenhouse. Uh, gas emissions. And so, under both of those categories, they directly contribute to SDG7, which underlying the the goal are specific targets such as promoting uh, and enhancing more renewable energy uh, solutions. And so, we own utilities such as um, AEP, American Electric Power, that is making that transition from coal-fired power generation to um, more renewable sources such as wind and solar. And the utilities is a good example as far as how the company itself will benefit from this transition in that because of the development of renewable sources such as wind and solar, it's actually cheaper for utilities to add renewable sources as opposed to traditional fossil fuel generated sources. So this is once again, tying to what we said before, both the company and society benefits from this transition to renewables. And then on the facilitator side of things, um, there's a tremendous opportunity largely related to the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed about six months ago. Now, this act, um, you know, despite the fact that it's called the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a lot of uh, capital de- uh, deployment and tax incentives regarding renewable energy. And so the facilitators, those companies that provide the products and services to uh, address this energy transition should benefit. So a company that we have in our portfolio, for example, is a company like Borg Warner that makes auto supplies. So not traditionally a, an area you think that would benefit from it, but they supply a lot of parts for the electric vehicles that really have taken off that now, ten percent of all vehicles in the country are EVs, and just by way of example of how companies are embracing EVs, if you looked at the Super Bowl, there are four car commercials; three of them were related to electric vehicles. So it's really something that you know is expected to take off, and a company like Borg Warner should benefit from. Well,
1: the SDGs offer a starting point for those new to sustainable investing concepts. So, as a portfolio manager, what holds key? To narrowing down, for example, within clean energy, how would you identify opportunities when the landscape may be shifting?
2: Right. So kind of picking up on that uh, you know, facilitator reducer concept before, that's where we look. So, for example, from the reducer standpoint, we really want to focus on companies that can make a difference. So, you know, if you're a company that basically isn't emitting too many greenhouse gases now, if you cut your greenhouse gases by a half, that sounds great, but it's really not making a meaningful difference um, to the world at large. So in essence, what we are doing are focusing on those companies that currently have a very high level of greenhouse gas emissions. And so then by virtue of their intention and dev- designing a pathway to reduce those emissions, they can r- really make a substantial just. Uh, difference, and in essence, close what's known as the emissions gap, which is, you know, right now the world is is emitting too many greenhouse gases relative to where we need to be. And so those are companies in areas um, that are often called hard-to-abate sectors, such as cement and transportation. We have companies exposed there. And then on the facilitator side, once again, it's those companies that are making the products and services along the lines that will benefit from some of the incentives of the inflation recovery act such as a company like denbury which supply, which has an extensive pipeline that allows for the capture of carbon and then sequestering it underground denbury has an extensive pipeline of uh in in the southern us where a lot of say fertilizer plants are involved and so they're partnering now with companies for those companies to deploy the technology to capture the carbon transported through Denver's pipelines. And then Denver also has underground resources where they can then sequester the carbon and keep it under wraps um, you know, for all time. And so there are increased incentives from the Inflation Recovery Act that uh, that will really incentivize companies um, to, to capture more carbon, and Denver should benefit from that. Well, is there
1: another example of a company where people would actually be surprised about how it's leading the way?
2: Sure, I guess kind of Picking up on uh, the carbon capture aspect of it, one of the leading companies regarding carbon capture is Occidental Petroleum, which is you know, a traditional fossil fuel company, which tying to the point of the orig- at the beginning, Denise, that you mentioned is some people think that it's exc- exclusionary. Many people think that investing in fossil fuel companies is not synonymous with a sustainable investing strategy. But by virtue of fact, an example, that having Occidental Petroleum in the climate solutions portfolio Occidental Petroleum is the leading um, investor in a technology called direct air capture, carbon capture technology. So what direct air capture means is that, as opposed to the example I said before with Denbury, where a company has their own factory and they deploy um, technology and equipment on that factory to capture the carbon that's being emitted from the factory and then goes through Denbury's pipelines and sequestering it. Occidental Petroleum is developing direct air capture, What that means is that you don't have to be near a factory or a plant that's currently emitting a large level of greenhouse gases. You can put it up in the middle, like right next to Denbury's pipelines. And because carbon diffuses through the atmosphere very quickly, it can capture the air unrelated to a direct plant and capture the carbon that's just in the atmosphere, transfer it through the pipelines, and then sequester in the ground so that it's gone forever. So once again, Occidental Petroleum thought of as a traditional fossil fuel, but they're spending billions of dollars to advance this direct air, direct air uh, carbon capture technology.
1: So when analyzing a company's own sustainability initiatives, what does it look like to engage with them directly? What are those discussions like?
2: So really, so sticking to um, the climate solutions, we, it's, you know, we're positioning in what's known as an impact fund. And to be known as an impact fund, really you have to live up to the word, what kind of impact can you have on the companies that you're investing in? And from a public investments perspective, your ability to make impact is somewhat limited. So for example, you're not directly supplying the capital to the company. In essence, when I buy a stock, I'm not Giving the money to the company, I'm just giving it to the person who's selling me the stock. But so through engaging with companies, that's where we feel we can make an impact. And in terms of kind of the discussions that we have, so for example, if it's a com- if it's a company that's you know trying to decide whether it's worth their while to reduce their overall level of carbon emissions, we can go to the company and speak to them and say, we have this Climate Solutions Fund. The criteria for getting into that fund is to reduce your emissions and have a commitment and a pathway to get there. So by letting the company know that the criteria to, you know, to allow them to get into our portfolio is to reduce their emissions. We think that incentivizes them to continue on that pathway and give them um, a goal to to work towards. Similarly, on the facilitator side of things, those companies that, you know, the, the benefit from these products and services are far reaching out into the future. So by us telling them, you know, if you invest the capital, we think you'll get a return on an investment. But once again, if you make the investment in that capital, that's the criteria we need to include you in our fund. And we think it incentivizes them to make those capital commitments and then develop those products and services that are needed.
1: Let's switch it up a little bit here. Let's talk about gender equality. So that's the UN SDG 5. How does that translate into investment considerations?
2: Sure. And so kind of switching to our other fund, which is the uh, Sustainable uh, equity income fund. The premise behind that fund is that we invest in companies that every company in the portfolio has been identified by our proprietary scoring system as being aligned with at least one of the SDGs. So it's a scoring system based on different metrics that uh, a company can have. Some of them are revenue based, so similar to what we talked about before. If a company's in, you know, developing clean energy um, technology, or if they're health care company that are, you know developing um, cutting edge medicines, you get points under our database, uh, according to those metrics. We also take into account us, uh, uh, not necessarily revenue-based metrics, but action-based metrics. And so some of them, if you look about, think about SDG five, some of them are relative to what companies can do to promote gender equality. An example is we have a metric, if a company has more than 50% of its management team is comprised of females, you get points under our SDG scoring system for that criteria. Similarly, if you've been assessed by an external organization such as the Bloomberg Gender Equality Index, you get points under our SDG scoring system. Uh, you know, uh, for being part of the index. So, how does that relate to investment? So, um, you know, I borrowed a study from Credit Suisse that they did last year, where they analyzed and they saw that. You know, fortunately. Across all sectors, there's been an increase in the percentage of women in the senior management ranks. Then they took that study a step further, and they found that companies with the higher levels of female representation in their senior management ranks, those stocks actually outperformed um, other, other companies that didn't have that high level. And so that's, once again, a, a connection between a company doing the right thing and a company benefiting from those actions.
1: So, Barry, that what might a company's own goals look like in this area? How do you factor that into an equity investment thesis?
2: Sure. Um, So, basically, a company's own goals, and we've seen it um, proliferate a lot lately, is you know, lots of companies are setting. Broader um, diversity, equity, and inclusion goals as far as targeting specific levels. Um, in essence, and, and once again, connecting it all to you know, the, the theme of this broadcast, it makes good business sense to broaden access to people, to have a more diverse workforce and have and really um, you know, get diversity of viewpoints. Because in essence, what this relates to is that most companies have a diverse customer base. And so by having a diverse employee base, diverse senior management, uh, base, that allows them to connect to their customers. And so it's kind of interesting. Uh, another study that um, I saw from the beginning of this year was a study that Accenture, the consulting firm, did in conjunction with the UN. And so with a lot of the talk about you know uh, investment companies sort of dictating, dictate, uh, I know this is in voice, so I'm doing air quotes, dictating their views to, um, to companies as far as what they expect them, to, um, how they expect them to behave the survey, one of the survey questions was they surveyed over 2,500 global CEOs. And one of the questions they asked was, who are your important stakeholders when it comes to sustainability issues? And by far and away, six the, the largest uh, answer was 68% of those CEOs said that customers were the primary reason why were their primary stakeholders in terms of their sustainability efforts. So- once again, just connecting everything together, you know, it's in companies' best interest to pay attention to the sustainability issues, not to appease us as investors, but really to connect better with their customers. Because as we've seen, especially as you look towards younger generations, people care about what companies are doing in, as far as their relationships um, at, to society, called so, the so-called license to operate. And it really makes just, you know, strong business sense for companies to be as sustainable as possible.
1: Before we close up here, you've been doing this for a long time. Is there anything that you would point to that gives you, you know, hope for the future?
2: I think you've heard the saying, Denise, that uh, you know history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so, you know, I talked about the Inflation Recovery Act before, and kind of, and really, you know, when I talk to the experts around Macquarie Asset Management, so we have experts on the private market side, they've said this is really a game changer as far as advancing and really promoting um, the transition, the energy transition. And kind of an analogy that I can think of in the past is that um, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 that was passed early in the Obama uh, administration, that really was meant to drive investment in infrastructure solutions. And so that's when kind of the phrase shovel-ready projects came into play and kind of connecting it to, you know, once again, this is an investment-related broadcast, which companies will benefit from this government action. I look back and to see you know companies out you know maybe were expected to benefit if it really came to pass and so if you think about it you know this was spending money to uh, build out infrastructure and so building material company like martin marietta you know they had tremendous returns in the two three and five year periods after the act was passed similarly an engineering construction company like Aquata, which uh in which uh you know helps to deploy uh electric infrastructure they benefited tremendously in the 2 3 and 5 year periods and then going back to that shovel ready project the makers of the shovels themselves a deer and a caterpillar both those companies were up over a 5 year period deer 150% caterpillar 200% well above the S&P 500 over that time so once again if history is going to rhyme we think that companies that will benefit from this inflation recovery act will also be will will benefit similarly to the to those companies back then
1: I can see why you're very hopeful. And of course, about the investment opportunities. I know we've really just skimmed the surface here. Don't forget, you can read all the insights from our investment teams in actionable ideas for a volatile world. Just visit DelawareFunds.com slash to learn more.
0: Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for more information on topics from this episode. And be sure to subscribe to Think Again wherever you get your podcasts. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principle. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objective will be realized, or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation, and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty expressed or implied Is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed, without independent verification, on the accuracy and completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the asset management division of Macquarie Group. Macquarie Asset Management is a full service asset manager offering a diverse range of products across public and private markets, including fixed income, equities, multi asset solutions private credit, infrastructure, renewables, natural assets, real estate, and asset finance. The public investment business is a part of Macquarie Asset Management and includes investment products and advisory services distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors, LP, a registered broker slash dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor, in Investment advisory services are provided by a series of MIMBT. Macquarie Group refers to Macquarie Group Limited and its subsidiaries and affiliates worldwide. Delaware Funds by Macquarie refers to certain investment solutions that Macquarie Asset Management public investment distributes, offers, refers, or advises. Other than the Macquarie Bank Limited, any Macquarie Group entity noted in this podcast is not an authorized deposit-taking institution for the purposes of the Banking Act 1959. The obligation of these other Macquarie Group entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank. Macquarie Bank does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these Macquarie Group entities. In addition, if this podcast relates to an investment, the investor is subject to investment risk, including possible delays in repayment and loss of income and principal invested. and none of the Macquarie Bank or any other Macquarie Group entity guarantees any particular rate of return on or the performance of the investment, nor do they guarantee repayment of capital in respect of the investment.